these Kurdish refugees live in are probably some of the most malnourished and deprived people in the world. Uh, I, I, I genuinely believe the next president of Kurdistan is in one of those refugee camps. I really mm. do. Um, um, so I just want to help them get out of there so they can, they can do some good stuff as well. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Running From Comfort. This is episode 18, the Rizgari Foundation. Late in 2019, Kawa Kurdi started the Rizgari Foundation as a charity organisation in order to help support the thousands of Kurdish families currently living within refugee camps. These refugee camps are severely underfunded and have limited access to food, clean water, shelter and education. This foundation was set up in order to help support those families living within those conditions. So today I sat down with the director of the Rizgari Foundation, my friend Kawa, to talk about why he started this organisation. But also, I was very unaware as to the situation that the Kurdish people are in. And I was very unaware of their history. So it came to a big shock and a surprise when I got to learn about the oppression that these Kurdish people have suffered throughout their history and that they continue to suffer through today. So as Kawa educated me during this conversation, as you listen to our conversation today, if you are unaware of this situation, then prepare to be educated. I'm going to give a disclaimer warning here. Towards the second half of the conversation, things do get a little bit graphic as Kawa begins to tell me about some of the more graphic things that have been done towards the Kurdish people. So just be mindful, things do get a little graphic. If you want to help support the Kurdish people and if you want to help support the Rizgari Foundation, then head on over to their Facebook page, the Rizgari Foundation, or head on over to the website, rizgarifoundation.com. I'd like to thank Kawa for speaking so openly and bravely about not just his own personal experience, about the experience that his own family members have been through, but also to just speak so openly as to the situation with the Kurdish people because it's not easy to you know, speak up on these social issues. And finally, if you enjoyed today's show, please do not forget to give it a rating and a review. Check out the Facebook page, Running From Comfort. Follow us on Instagram at running underscore from underscore comfort. And finally, don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. All right, I hope you enjoy today's episode, guys. So here on today's show, Running From Comfort, I have a man with me. His name is Kawa. Did I pronounce that correctly? No, it's Kawa. Kawa. See, I messed that up. But anyways, how are we doing today? I'm good, mate. Good. Um, glad to be on. So, man. So, this man here. I met this guy a good few years ago. Coming into his coffee shop, getting lattes. You know, I used to work just up the road from here. We always had a good chat. He's a very kind-hearted man. He's got a big heart on him. And also, something that I really had to respect about this dude. He's got a lot of hustle and bustle in him. You do a lot with yourself. So, just briefly, what do you do with yourself? Uh, well, um... I currently study um, at UTAS. I'm doing criminology. Um, I um, I work at my parents' cafe uh, for free. <laughs> for free? Yeah, well. Out of love. Family business. That's how it goes. Um, oh, yeah. Out of love, for sure. I've, I've thought about calling it quits a few times. But, um, yeah, I just... Now I'm... Um, I'm getting into this charity stuff. Uh, and um, I decided to launch a charity and that's keeping me very busy as well mm. so so this charity it's the Rizgari Foundation that's right and so can you just explain what this charity is about to the people well um well Rizgari um it, well Rizgar is actually my middle name and I actually I named it Rizgari Foundation because um uh Rizgari means freedom in Kurdish um 
and um, effectively since uh, Turkey's invasion of Rojava, that's northeast Syria, um, West Kurdistan as I call it, um, I got really angry and I felt very, very guilty that I was so far away from um, the conflicts there. Mm. And that so many thousands of Kurdish families are just displaced. And I, I, felt, I felt angry and guilty um, that my life has been considerably easy for a Kurd. Um, there aren't many Kurds that have had an easy life like I have. So I thought if, if um, I was in those camps that these people now find themselves in, I, I wish that there'll be someone on my end that might help, try and help out. Mm. And that's, um, that's why I decided to start um, the charity. Uh, yeah, that's probably the main reason. Mm. So run us back through the history about this a little bit because <clears throat> I was fairly uneducated on this topic until I showed up here about, what, it's a half an hour ago and we got talking about it. Yeah. And there's a bit of history as to what's going on in these camps. So do you want to sort of explain that to us here? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the thing is most people are... Um, there are. You know, I don't think the Kurds are talked about enough. Um, they certainly suffer enough. Uh, like these, it really it boils down to who the Kurds are as a people, and you know where they just happen to have been unfortunately born in. Um, they're divided between four Islamist states, and you know they're they're not exactly Islamists. They're not mm. at all, actually. Um, it's actually a culture... Kurdish culture is a culture of equality, and that just so happens to be an unfortunate thing in mm. the Middle East. So maybe tell us a bit more about sort of Kurdish culture and sort of where you guys started and how you've sort of ended up in the situation you're in now. Well, the Kurds are one of the oldest people in the region. Um, they're descendants of the Medes Empire, and... Um, their, their culture and language is very old. It's, it's thousands of years old. It, it predates any other people in the area. Um, and, you know, like that's... Having a peaceful culture and also being very old doesn't really guarantee you... Um, especially considering Kurdish culture predates nation-states. Um, they would... They didn't have um, the necessary... We didn't, I guess we didn't really have the aggression necessary to form our own nation state at the time, but, you know, for differing reasons, Iraq, Iran, Syria and Turkey became states and the Kurds, although promised their own state, they weren't given one. And, I mean, and this is why this sort of invasion can happen. It, it, I'm, I'm a Kurdish nationalist, I am. I, I, I think that the Kurds need their own nation, they need their own state um, otherwise this sort of this sort of invasion can be treated as a domestic issue um, and that's what, how Turkey's treating it they're treating it as though they are trying to you know, secure their border when the reality is they're trying to to end any idea of Kurdish autonomy um, and which will, will lead to Kurdish independence so um it's 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 more it's more to do like 
if, if you have your own state, this sort of thing can't happen to you. Mm. And you can speak your own language freely. Right now, it's illegal to speak Kurdish in, um, in most regions in Kurdistan, um, especially in North Kurdistan, the Turkish-occupied part. Um, I mean, Kurdish culture and identity is effectively banned. So, of course, given that that is the, the, the atmosphere of Turkey's relationship towards Kurds, um, of course, they don't have much of an issue in invading across the border into Rojava as, as, as the people of Rojava are becoming more confident and more likely to declare their independence as well. So that's, it's, sort, it's sort of a problem, um, mm. wanting to be your own people, yeah. apparently. And just, just geographically, where exactly is Kurdistan located? It's, uh, it's, it's divided between Iraq, Iran, Syria and Turkey mm. um, at the moment. Um, but, you know, like, it, it's, it's such a complex history the Kurds have. I mean, like, it's really, um, there's so much that's gone on it's for such different reasons that they've been divided. Mm. Um, everything from, you know, Scott, uh, Sykes-Pico, um, you know, through to, through to um, the Turks eventually, you know, uh, promising the Kurds well their own states and then using them um, in their own conflicts you know, like, unfortunately, it just doesn't, uh, just doesn't seem to crumble in the right direction for the Kurds. Um, so there's currently, because of this invasion um, by Turkey into Rojava, um, there are two, two million Kurds effectively uh, either have been or will be displaced in the coming months. Um, and they have nowhere to go. Like, it's really, it's, um, it's, it's really, really unfortunate situation that they find themselves in. So where do most of these people find themselves going, though? The ones that <clears throat> a combination, get out? A combination of places at the moment. The UN has quietly set up a few refugee camps inside northeast Syria. Um, but for the most part, they're fleeing towards um, South Kurdistan. So that's the Iraqi part of Kurdistan. Uh, I, I just, just a matter of language for your viewers. I, I, just, I try and refrain from using words like, you know, the Turkish part of Kurdistan or, you know, because I'm... I'm very openly a Kurdish nationalist. I don't. I don't even think it's a good language to use. I, that's why I refer to it as the North, East, West, and South. Um, hmm. um, I think that's. I think that's probably something that more Kurds should start to do as well. Um, yeah. So, sorry, I forgot the question. Sorry. So, like, where do most of these refugees find themselves ending up? Because you've got two million people being displaced at the moment. They're all trying to find somewhere. Yes. So yeah. um, they're all fleeing. Up. The majority are trying to flee into South Kurdistan. Um, where the KRG already has its own semi-autonomous government. I mean, I mean, they're very, they're very, they, they're getting their stuff together really well there. Um, but these camps, they're they're heavily underfunded, um, not just underfunded, but they were already at near maximum capacity from previous conflicts, um, mainly because of um, the Islamic State terror group, um, um, and now. Now, with these new arrivals in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, um, they can't... Um, the, like, I mean, for the most part, a lot of these families don't have fresh drinking water. There's just... There's, there's so far the capacity... I mean, like, they haven't got the capacity to take care of these people. Mm-hmm. So they need more funding. And um, that was... I saw a bit of a disconnect between um, Australia and South Kurdistan in regards to charity um, help. Um, there's there's currently no charity that operates from Australia to to um, to Kurdistan to 
in that specific regard. Um, so I, I, I decided to fill that gap and you know pursue this. Um, I think it's I think it's definitely as a, there's a there's a um, there's a um, a void to fill. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah, and I mean you must obviously be very passionate about this one. You know, because you know you're a Kurd. You know, but you know that's your background, that's your nationality. Yeah. But then also on top of this, I mean, to be 25 years old and to say to yourself, I see an issue on the other side of the world. These are like these are my people. I want to help them, and to go out there and start a charity. I um, I I think more and more young people are starting to do stuff like this. I think they realise that um, that I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a millennial thing. Maybe it's um, maybe this idea of existential dread that we all got going on but um effectively i i didn't i didn't I, I, mine was specifically um out of guilt for my own situation I, my life's been very easy like it has been i'm the first to admit how easy my life has been um so i think that given i have been given so much um i probably should do something to help people that I, I, I genuinely believe the next president of Kurdistan is in one of those refugee camps. I really mm. do. Um, um, so I just want to help them get out of there so they can they can do some good stuff as well. Like there's, thou- there's thousands of children that that probably have a far greater capacity than I do that just get born into a really unfair situation. Mm. Um, and they could probably do a lot more good than I can. But I just want to I just want to do something to help them get out. Well, I think, well, first of all, you're taking a really big step to actually do something to help. I appreciate that. And but what I suppose I want to get into next is what are those kind of living conditions in these camps at the moment? Deplorable, man. I mean, like, sometimes, I mean, like, on our, on our Facebook page, we sometimes put up posts about what, you know, with photos about what it's actually like there. But, I mean, it's, it's dangerously underfunded. They, like, they, I, I, would, I would say... These Kurdish refugees live in are probably some of the most malnourished and deprived people in the world. Um, they, um, for the mo- many of them, don't have I, the ones that do have fresh drinking water don't have enough water to clean their children. I mean, like, I mean, some of their babies like can't be washed for weeks at a time, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not what you not that's not what anyone would want for their children. Um, a lot of them don't have enough food. They have to, they resort to eating you know um, watered down foods like soups and. You know, like, and um, they're very protein deficient. They're very calorie deficient. Um, and clothing, they don't. Some of the kids only have the t- the shirts on their backs. Um, and that's, you know, Kurdish winters are very bitter and cold. They get to sub ten, sub fifteen degrees in those camps. And you know, a lot of those kids will probably get die in this win- this coming winter. Um, it's about to be winter now in Kurdistan. Mm. Um, Education-wise, um, um, a lot of them will grow up um, without... Um, they'll be illiterate, uh, which sort of cycles the whole poverty problem. You know, if you can educate people, they can sort of help themselves. And if they're uneducated, then it's a cyclical problem. So that's, that's, that's that as well. Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a hell. Those camps are a hell. They try their best. Um, the government there really tries its best, but it only has so much money to be able to actually, you know, facilitate these programs with. So they rely on donations from other countries, foreign aid, and um, yeah, 
yeah, they, they really need it. So it's 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 not um, it's not even something that'll be fixed from today to tomorrow. They really need long term assistance. They really do. Um, too many Kurds live in refugee camps. They do like I mean, a millions. You know that's that's not right. Um, yeah, and and they're really. I couldn't live there um, under mm. any circumstances. I mean, like, I would try my best, and I don't think any anyone living in Australia would want to live in something like that for a week. But unfortunately, some of those people have to stay to grow up there. And, you know, Kurds even they talk about which refugee camp that our famous Kurd comes from and this sort of thing because so many of them you know have been in a refugee camp at some point mm. yeah and yeah so a lot of the funding that that Rizgari Foundation will secure will go towards um, um, actually the, the whole the whole point of Rizgari Foundation is to is to secure funding um, to to be able to support programs that are already in place in those camps it, this, this, this whole process saves us having to build new infrastructure um, that would have to that would cost more money administration transportation these sorts of costs um, as a hypothetical um, that I usually give if there's a charitable group that already you know buys blankets to support Kurds in these camps in winter and they say so they can only have a purchasing power of 10,000 blankets and there's 20,000 they need you know we, we uh, effectively our charity will purchase another 10,000 so mm-hmm. puts in the same truck um, and delivers to those people. So transport costs, nothing. Admin costs, all paid by me. Um, and yeah, so effectively any dollar an Australian donates will go towards those people directly. And also we have a big focus on being absolutely transparent about how our money spent there as well. Mm. So that's, um, that's, that's also a big component of Riscari Foundation. It's, it's, it's helping people understand that, that their money is not being diluted by admin costs and that what we say our money is being used for is what it's being used for. Mm. Yeah. So this has been going on for quite some time, I take it. The like the Kurds, like sort of growing up through refugee camps. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've. It's not like. Um, it's not a new problem. It's uh, since the day of social media. I think um, it's become more fashionable to be a Kurd. I think. I think. The, I think a lot of people in the West, um, even a lot of conservative people in the West, are starting to see. Um, I think Lindsey Graham refer to the Kurds as the Christians of the Muslim world and it's it's because um, Kurds are you know they, they live, they're secular people like they 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 their culture is secular mm. um, and it's one based on equality and so it's 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 I think originally coming from your question it's like um, it's it's kind of hard to have those views and also have the existing agencies and and ideas you know wafting around the Middle East you know for the moment women are oppressed in the Middle East and Kurdish culture is you know quite pro-feminist if you think about it mm. um, it's pro-equality it's definitely pro-feminist in the Middle East um, which is a problem for if you happen to be a people of that kind mm. because you have a lot of enemies that way and you know, and and the Kurds have unfortunately always had those. Um, we've always, we've always been treated as, not even treated as second class citizens. Um, in in Syria, those two million Kurds didn't even have citizenship. They didn't have the right to be able to work or have health care. So of course they were going to, you know, set up their own autonomous region. Of course they were going to do that, given the void that they had, the opportunity they had. 
Um, in Iran, there's public hangings every day of Kurds. You know, I think a lot of people uh, make the mistake of thinking that Iran is somehow better for Kurds. It's not. It's 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 it's, it's absolutely terrible towards Kurds. Um, uh, there's public hangings of Kurds every day. The Kurdish culture is effectively banned in many forms. Mm. Um, you know, it's actually I must say the Kurds Rojalet is what we call it. Rojalat, sorry, uh, is what we call it. Um, it's East Kurdistan, and um, those people there are incredibly brave, honestly, because they they're the first ones to stand up against the um, Iran regime as well. But of course, those people, you know. Uh, given any opportunity will try and seek independence I mean why would you seek independence why would you seek your own autonomy if you were being treated well um, in in Iraq um, you know like even recently the Iraqi army and the Peshmerga that's the Kurdish army they fought together against ISIS they defeated ISIS and immediately as soon as we did the Iraqi army started firing on the Kurds uh, and that's purely because they're all we had was a common enemy, a common threat, but the reality is they've always been hostile towards Kurds. Sam is saying gassed 200,000 Kurds um, whilst he was in power, um, 10,000 in Halabja alone. Um, and, you know, the Kurds were the first ones to try and topple Saddam. It was actually George Herbert Walker Bush that told the Iraqi people at the time to try and topple Saddam. And the Kurds were the ones that stood up. And the Kurds are the ones that dragged down his statue, if you remember that, that footage. Um, those are the Kurds, and that's why Saddam went on his campaign of trying to kill all the Kurds. Mm. Um, and in my opinion, Turkey right now is, is probably the most hostile towards the Kurds. It's illegal to... Uh, even the word Kurdistan has been banned in Turkey. It's illegal to say it. Mm. Um, and funnily enough, my last name is Kurdistan, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't really do well over there. Um, my parents come from North Kurdistan, so that, that part of it. Um, and they, they lived incredibly difficult lives. Um, and it's not just personal, because, I mean... Um, it's Kurdish culture and language and identity is effectively banned. Up until the 1980s, Kurds weren't even considered people in the region, they were always called mountain Turks or Kardar, which means, you know, the noise that your feet make in the snow. Like, that's, that's, what, that's what the Kurds were f up until the 1980s, even. You know, um, the kinds of brutality and torture and maltreatment that the Turks imposed on the Kurds um, was... Um, I mean, it's... it's it, in some ways, it puts Nazi Germany to shame. It really, like, it's, it's unfathomable the amount of humiliation the Kurds have gone through. Um, in all four of those states, um, but it, but because of social media, all of a sudden it has become there's there's new light on the issue. Mm. A lot of people are seeing Kurds as a sort of hope for the Middle East. I think an independent Kurdish state is an antidote towards suffering in the Middle East. Mm. Um, you'll have 40 million people that practice their culture peacefully, that promote secularism, um, that'll be an ally towards Israel and the West. You know, that's, that sounds pretty good. That sounds something that a lot, I think a lot of Westerners should be on board with and in favour of. Because um, we know we, all, we have enough enemies as it is. Like, we do. Mm. And, I don't, and Kurds are not one of them. Kurds are... Kurds are... Or we... Even when, whenever the US or any Aussies fought alongside Kurds against um, either ISIS or other campaigns, like in the Iraq war, you know, the Kurds would always wear the, either Aussie or the US flag on their, um, on their bodies as well. You know, because that's that's the kind of friendliness that we feel towards the West. Because Kurds have Western values. We are, 
uh, we have we have an old, very old culture, but it's a very compatible with Western civilization. Mm. And, uh, so is that one of the big reasons why you've sort of been impressed by these other cultures throughout history? Much. Because I suppose they would see your culture as a threat to the very ideas much. and the norms that they had throughout their cultures. Very much. That's um, that's the. I, I think if you really boil it down from a psychological point of view, that's probably what it is. From a nationalist point of view, um, that's. I mean, all four of those those states are very. I mean, not Iran, but I mean, okay, Iraq and Turkey are very new states um, in in human history. Um, so. Yeah, but, but but I mean, like, even Iranian culture originally isn't Islamist. It's not, not originally. Mm. Um, you know, they adopted that quite late into their into their history as well. But for the most part, um, yeah. So it's an ex- Kurdistan is an existential threat towards those four states. Um, and I hear a lot of arguments against an independent Kurdistan, like, oh, we're landlocked and this sort of stuff. But the reality is, is once you have a state there, I mean, we have aviation now. You have transport. The U.S. would set up military bases there. It would be a successful, it would be a successful, peaceful zone in the Middle East. Like incredible. Like even thinking about how successful it's going to be, it was already successful in Rojava, and that was un- constantly under threat from Turkey on the one side and ISIS from the other. Mm. You know, it's like I mean, we're trapped between two Islamist states and still able to set up a secularist like utopia. So I mean, imagine what we could do given a little bit of peace and room. You know, though, I think I would be, and I, 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 I don't want to do this. Um, I, I really am excited to, um, to set up this charity. I really am. I, I, I want to. I want to affect. I want to affect people's lives in, in the long term going forward. Like, I mean, I, I really believe Rizgari Foundation will help hundreds of thousands of people um, in those camps in the future. But I don't want to have to do this. I don't mm-hmm. want to. Like, I mean, what Kurd wants to set up have to set up a charity you know I don't want why would I want that I, I would prefer that those people lived in their homes mm. you know they don't want to flee war they have to you know they, they have to flee this persecution that they've had like it's an indescribable suffering that they have in there if they, if they choose to stay mm. um, you know like they're at the mercy of Turkey and their jihadist proxies that they use right now that are all former ISIS fighters it's like this I mean like you, I, probably, I probably can't describe the kind of suffering on your podcast. It's like, so I'm gonna just I'm gonna put a little disclaimer here because I actually want you. You've already described some of this to me. I want you to describe some of this because I think people really need an insight into exactly what is happening. So and what has happened to your people in the past. So little disclaimer warning. This is gonna get a little bit graphic. Yeah, I mean, like, like this. Obviously, it's not new. It's because of, actually, because of social media, when Turkey originally invaded and they did, they um, performed um, executions of civilians and politicians on the side of the road, um, uh, prominent Kurdish politicians, Hevrin was one of them. Um, she was a uh, secularist progressive and she was executed on the side of the road. Her body was um, tortured um, in, in brutal ways, which, um, which the autopsy shows. Um, if anyone wants to look at that online in their own time, um, it's it's very disturbing. Um, but it's because the West immediately they they, sh- uh, they saw what was happening. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, 
Western civilians they saw what was happening. That's why Turkey immediately said to their jihadist proxies, don't film anymore of what they're doing. And for the most part, Kurdish history hasn't really been filmed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's actually a very, very new thing that now people are being held more accountable for the, their war crimes. Um, and, you know, Turkey, Iraq, Iraq and Syria commit possibly more than any in human history and they get away with it. Um, primarily this happens because the Kurds don't have their own state. It's all considered domestic issues within a country. It's not considered waging war. Um, you can kill as many Kurds as you want, unfortunately, and people believe that you can get away with it. And that's that's been the argument. Um, but Kurds have gone through, you know, tremendous brutality in the past, like, like massacre after massacre in Turkey, for example. I mean... Do you know a rough figure of, like, maybe how many people? I mean, like, it's, it's not... The thing is, it's not just the Kurds that the Turks have killed. Like, mm. they started with the Armenians. Um, 1.4 million Armenians killed. Um, uh, that was known as the Armenian Genocide, a genocide that Turkey still denies to this day. It's actually considered treason um, to deny um, to, to to speak up about it uh, in Turkey. Um, so that's sort of... If you deny the genocide of 1.4 million people, sort of paints a picture on how you're probably going to proceed with committing ethnic cleansing in the future. Mm. It's like, if you, I mean, you, I, don't, I don't really believe Germany will repeat what it did in the Holocaust because it's, it, they've, they've taken such measures to make sure that they, don't, that, 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 that they acknowledge their history and they're very open about that. Mm. But Turkey, who deny, you know, an almost equal number of, well, not quite almost equal, but still in the millions of people systematically killed, you know, sent off in death marches, you know, most of the, one bullet policy was what they adopted. It was, you know, most of the people were buried alive even. Um, so, in it, like, this sets the precedent of how you can treat Kurds. For example, they kill 150,000 Pontus people, Pontus Greeks. Mm. Um, um, and there's no actual figure on how many Kurds have died, primarily because Kurds live in a mountainous region uh, where, for the most part, most people didn't traverse to document but it, it, Turkey even, I mean, they'll, they'll commit a massacre of some kind. 1,500 people will say they've been killed. When the reality is McDowell goes and reports that 40,000 were killed. Like it's the, the kind of underreporting of these deaths, it's so widespread. So there's, there's, there's no question that wh- however many deaths you could actually count, it's, it's probably considerably more hmm. than that amount. Um, so... And you said they do a bit to sort of humiliate the people as well, could you? Yeah, so in the prior to burning 4,000 Kurdish villages to the ground in the Kurdish, uh, in North Kurdistan. And roughly what year was this? Um, in the, I believe it was the early 90s that this mm. happened, that they burnt these villages down. But prior to that, in the 80s, up until the 80s, the Turkish government would send their army into all these Kurdish villages monthly, and they would expect female entertainment, young girls um, as form of prostitutes, as peace offerings um, they would expect the, 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 the villagers to give up their weapons um, and they would strip the men and the women naked, divide them up, strip them naked and have the women tie a rope around the men's genitals and parade them around the village as a form of humiliation and Actually, to your readers, I will actually put a shameless plug in there. By um, Modern History of the Kurds by McDowell is a really, 
really good book. And who's McDowell? Just briefly. Uh, he's he's a, he's he's, a, he's an um, he's a Western author. He's, he really uh, he covered this situation um, in Kurdistan really really accurately. Mm. Unfortunately, not a lot of um, not a lot of people have done his his level of work. Um, it's actually it's actually incredible that he was able to document all this stuff so effectively. I think for the most part, he had to do it in um, in secret. Um, but he was able to document like these these are the sorts of things my parents lived through and like some of the things um, they don't. They don't talk to me about because I don't think they want to worry, like the kids. But yeah, they live through really terrible things, and um, like, and, and and it's not just the Kurds because a lot of other nations that have been at the mercy of the Turks, they know um, what kind of brutality these people subject. Like the Bulgarians, for example. Anyone in the Balkans knows. It's like it's like they, the kind of torture and torment these people have gone through. If it, if it makes your bones quiver and if it makes you feel really sick. Like the Turks have probably done it, and they've definitely done it to the Kurds. Um, and it's, I don't just say that because I'm a Kurd, but it's actually, unfortunately, it's quite well documented as well. Mm. Oh, I should say, fortunately, it's quite well documented. At least it wasn't um, completely silent. But for the most part, most Western people don't know the kind of suffering that happens in those regions. Mm. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a different kind of racism. Like I, f- I feel like sometimes that that term might be thrown around a bit loosely with some people. Um, it's 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 a really it's a it's a really it's really racist. Like it's the the Turks, the Iranians, the Iraqis, and the Syrians. They hate the idea of Kurds. Mm. They hate the idea that there could be Kurds living in their countries. They hate they hate it. It's built on a racism. It's they, they claim that we're not being unified or loyal to them. Honestly, well we can't be loyal to you because you murder us at any chance you get. You ban our culture and our society. It's like how how why should First off, why should we be loyal? And why is it disloyal to want our own state? Mm. You know, why should we, we... We wouldn't be treated as second-class citizens in the year 2200 in your countries. You know, why should we wait for that? Why should... All that will happen if the Kurds don't have their own state is they'll be assimilated further and further and further until there's no Kurds left. Mm. That's what will happen. And that's not, that's not something that any Kurd will, should or would accept. So that's that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, yeah, but like I mean, a lot of the a lot of the people that have fleed uh, Yazidis. Yazidis are also Kurds. My family's, for example, ancestrally Yazidi. That's a very old, very old religion. Um, it's like a society, societal background, really. Kurds and Yazidis, honestly, actually, they all were originally, um, and. The Kurds, um, I mean, those poor late. I mean, ISIS, for example, trapped those ladies into into sex cages. Up anywhere between five and ten thousand of those girls, some as young as six years old, mm-hmm. um, and they used them as sex slaves um, for years. Um, and they were, these were all these were all girls that were sold off to Arab countries as well. Um, and you know, like I mean, there's a there's a Yazidi saying, um, as I told you earlier. Yeah. Um, a poor girl that survived she said I've been raped 30 times and it's not even lunch yet I can't um, go to the toilet please for the love of God someone bomb us and that's the kind of suffering that a lot of these people go through and people will never hear about it Mm -hmm. like there are like even in those camps right now there are thousands and thousands of ladies that all have no arms because 
ISIS went and cut all their arm, their arms off because mm. they stood up for themselves. You know, effectively debilitating them for the rest of their lives is a form of long-term punishment. Um, and re- imagine being able to defend yourself from being violated if you have no arms even. It's mm. kind of a lot harder. So some of the... Um, <clears throat> Some of the people that I want to help are people as unfortunate as that. And (laughs) even though I work here for virtually nothing in this cafe, you can see why I think that my life has been incredibly easy and fortunate. Mm. It has been. Like, I've I've never known that kind of suffering. Um, And so many, so many Kurds have. So I feel, I feel immensely guilty and uh, I feel it's my responsibility to, to help, so. And it's, <clears throat> I just think it's utterly shocking that like this is a type of suffering that a particular type of people are being put through. You know, we like you say, social media is starting to shine a little bit of a light on this. But you know, we're, we're in 2019. We're about to tip over to 2020, and <clears throat> yeah, you know, this is still what is going on in the world. You know, yeah, it's it's um it's 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 shocking to say the least. I mean, I mean, and and not just that, but it's like. It's Turkey, for example, is a country where I mean, Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Syria are typically frowned upon by the West, rightfully so, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I mean, not just the way they treat Kurds, but the reality is the way they even treat their own populations. I mean, I mean, women are subject to all forms of slavery in those societies. I mean, you can sugarcoat as much as you want, but there's no there's no kind of flourishing in those places. Mm. They're all dictatorships of some kind. I mean, Iraq's not, but I mean, I mean, it's definitely all sorts of suffering in those places as well for those people um, but Turkey in particular is has been treated as an ally of the West um, specifically because of its ties to NATO um, because of its usefulness as a geopolitical region um, during the Cold War like as a deterrence against Russia um, Soviet, Soviet, the Soviet Union um, mm. but I think more and more people are starting to realise that Turkey doesn't actually have any Western values in it whatsoever it's adopting a more Islamist uh, mentality, actually more traditionally Ottoman mm. to what it is. Um, um, so there's a massive neo-Ottoman movement um, in Turkey. Uh, I think there's this, there's this pipe dream of wanting to re-establish the Ottoman Empire. Um, and you know, part of that is to pretend as though there's no such thing as Kurds um, mm. because that is a problem for you because you have an ethnic minority in your country that wants independence. Yes. You're trying to stretch your borders. You can see where the difficulty lies. And how many Kurds live in Turkey? Um, so it's between 20 and 25 million. Um, Turkey suggested something on the order of 15 tops, but that's just that's just something that Turks say to try and make it seem as though it's a smaller issue than, than what it actually is. Um, there's 40 million Kurds in that region, and there's 10 million in other parts of the world so it's 50 million in the world mm. it's the large, largest ethnic minority without a home state um, and um, for the most part most of them live in their homelands I mean like I mean you, you can deny it all you want uh, but Kurdistan is already a place it always has been mm. it's, Kurdistan translates to the land of the Kurds um, and the Kurds have always lived there so that's our home um, so kick us you can't, I mean Turkey trying to kick all the Kurds out of Rojava for example it's a land grab. It's this idea of re-establishing the Ottoman Empire sort of state. They've always wanted to put an Arab belt through the area to try and cut off any idea of Kurdish autonomy. And now they've got 
enough enough of a unified mentality behind it to push for it. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible how much people support this invasion. Mm. It's incredible. It's like they had a national countdown to re... There was no ceasefire, but for this apparent ceasefire they'd organised... That's where, when was this? Uh, this was uh, a couple of weeks into the invasion of Rojava. This yep. was um, late October, mm-hmm. maybe early November. I can't, I can't tell you the exact date. No, actually, I'm not actually sure. But they had a live countdown. Like, it's the same way us in the West, they cel- we celebrate New Year's um, countdowns. Like, they were counting down the, the end of ceasefire to continue attacking, you know, the Kurds living in Rojava. So, mm. I mean, when, like, Erdogan, the Turkish president, even two weeks ago, was in a mosque and he was um, describing how he's going to be hard on the infidels of Syria, namely the Kurds. Um, because Kurds are infidels. <laughs> so, um, and the people in the mosque would chant, oh, Erdogan, last caliph of Islam. So it's like there's this mentality in Turkey that, I mean, al-Baghdadi was the previous leader of ISIS. Now it's Erdogan. Erdogan is now the current leader of at least all the operations done by Islamic State. I mean, they facilitated their growth to begin with, but... I mean, they probably acted as a proxy because it served their interest to have it. Mm. But at this point, Erdogan is very openly in favour, very anti anyone that's opposed to it, actually. Um, so this new invasionist effectively will re-establish ISIS as a threat for everybody in this new vacuum they've created. Uh, the Kurds had it under control. Mm. Uh, we had thousands and thousands of ISIS fighters in prison. Um, and we would, we had control of all the, all the families that were of these ISIS fighters. Um, and you know, because of Turkey deliberately opened up some of those prisons as well, so they they wanted them released. It's it's, it's incredible. I mean, like it's actually very well documented. Um, Richard Engel, actually from MSNBC, actually documents it quite closely. He's done a great job of being on, um, being right on, right in the middle of it, actually. So I recommend to anyone, shameless plug number two, mm. um, check out um, Richard Engel's uh, coverage. It's called Betrayal of the Kurds. Really worthwhile. Um, yeah, and more and more. Um, yeah. So just a, just a very historically oppressed people sort of in that region. Very much. I suppose what I also want to do is just for context, I want to, I want to explain just how sort of widespread this affects you know Kurdish people so you were, t- you were telling me earlier about what happened when you were born in Denmark oh not Denmark in Holland sorry Holland my that's apologies. Yeah, no that's alright <laughs> similar countries right all in Europe um, <laughs> so um, I mean Turkish racism doesn't just end in the, for the Kurds living in in, in, in northern Kurdistan in the Turkish part mm. sorry just for your viewers I'll, I'll continuously say that just even though it makes me cringe every time I do um, but um, so when, I, when, I was, when me and my brother and my sister were born um, in Holland um, we, the, the Dutch government gave my parents a list of Turkish names they were allowed to have oh we were allowed to be given um, and my parents said no we want to name them Kurdish names and they refused they said no you're not allowed to have Kurdish names and this is Holland yeah, this is this is in the nineties in Holland, in a Western country in Europe, uh, that's that's seemingly progressive. 
and this is purely because of ties between relationship between Turkey and the Netherlands at the time but for a week we grew up without a birth certificate so um, you know they had they backtracked the date but well, I was definitely born on the 26th of May mm. I'm sure I wasn't born in June um, but um, yeah so they gave us a list of Turkish names my parents refused they argued very very hard against it and eventually they they, they succeeded and the Dutch government they said fine we'll let you have your Kurdish names but it's it's really I mean even even this last three weeks three weeks ago um, in Tokyo uh, U- University of Tokyo in Japan um, they announced that they'll be starting a, a Kurdish language program mm. and the Turkish government was very open and they said no we're against this this new Tur- uh, this new um, Kurdish language program you've got in this one university in Japan as far away mm. I mean, you can't, I probably couldn't go further away than t- from Turkey than that. Like, it's considerably far away geographically. Like, why would you care if they if they talk Kurdish over in Japan in a university? Why would that bother you? The reality is, is this sort of racism is actually really it's part of the Turkish identity. It's um, it's they built their society on these on these sorts of values. I mean, when you deny genocide of the millions of people, um, and you also refer to an entire race of people as mountain Turks. What's the likelihood that you're going to be? Um, what, what's the likelihood that you'll want them practicing their culture elsewhere? Actually, people like myself are really frowned upon because I've grown up in the West and I've grown up in a part of the world where I can influence people's hearts and minds like this mm. by spreading information and letting people know what it's like. And I'm not also I'm not persecuted in a way where I'll be thrown in jail for it in Turkey. Mm. Mind you, I can't travel there. I can't. Um, and you know the, it's not like the Turkish government doesn't know who my family is for example my dad would be arrested on site um, yeah, he already served in Turkish prison for three years as a, as a um, progressive in the region he was you know, fighting for effectively for Kurdish people's rights and he, he served in prison for three years where he was tortured very badly um, and this, that's not that's not the kind of life that I would I'm at risk at. I can I can speak up about these issues and not and not be um, not be threatened um, by that kind of persecution. So it's a big problem for the Turkish government. People like me um, and more and more Kurds are like me, and not just the Turkish government, but the Iranians as well, and the Iraqis and Syrians. The Iraqis and Syrians have less power now because their economies are weak and dwindling. But you know, Iran, you know, they still have their their little agents walking around town every now and again, and mm. you know Turkey certainly does as well. Uh, we get dobbed in a lot, so. Mm. And so, your own father was also in a prison as well. Yes, he was. Um, he was. Uh, he was shot very badly in his legs, um, and then he was put in a full body cast where he's. Even though, when they operated on his leg, they shaved his femur down to stunt him for life. Um, they. They put him in a full body cast, just nothing but his mouth hole and eyes, so that um, he could his body, his muscles would deteriorate. Then they threw him in prison, where he was tortured very badly. Um, I probably won't go into detail. I might I might get a little emotional if I no, it's, I bring okay. that one up. But um, yeah, so it's 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 very personal for a lot of Kurds. This sort of situation. I I I, I would struggle to find one Kurd. 
that hasn't lived that hasn't doesn't know someone at least that lived through something like mm. that. It's it's so widespread. Um, yeah. And so um, I I actually grew up. I, I always asked my parents why is Kurdish music so sad, mm. and they they said the same thing. It's because we have such a sad history. You know, like how we're we gonna have happy music we do have some happy songs I love those I love those songs mm. but we, for the most part a lot of our music is very sad and very sounds sad at least from a western point of view it's, it's because we've lived through really sad really really you know appalling things and you know that's, that's shaped our culture and society there's a Kurdish saying no friends but the mountains and there's a good reason for that unfortunately mm. um, you know mountain people are unconquerable yeah yeah so <clears throat> just endless amounts of suffering is just sort of what's going on to your people and you yeah. know such a shame and, you know one of the things you said to me that was like kind of telling and it struck me was like you know you said I just want to be able to speak my own language yeah I uh, don't speak Kurdish fluently um, that's courtesy of Turkey's effective assimilation policy even globally um, and there are lots of Kurds from North Kurdistan that don't speak Kurdish very well or very very fractured Kurdish very Turkified Kurdish language and that's very sad but you know it's elite I mean like they can always practice Kurdish in their own homes at best um, for the most part a lot of them have been so assimilated that even some of them are unfortunately even ashamed to practice their own language and that's it's not it's not not a fault of their own um, I, I, I feel really really deeply saddened for those people I have the ability to learn Kurdish and I'm learning now um I, 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 I don't if if I've had children I, I'd want them to be able to, to to learn and speak Kurdish and I want that for all the all the other you know children of Kurdistan as well I don't I, don't, I think it's wrong I think if I think if you I think if you get rid of a language um, it's a really really effective way of, a, of getting someone to think that there's something that they're not and unfortunately a lot of a lot of Kurds think that they might be something else and yeah mm. I meet a lot I meet a lot of Kurds that way it's very sad, very sad. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I want, I want to speak. I want to speak. I, I love the language. It's, it's beautiful. It's very complex, very rich language. Too many words, too many ways to describe <laughs> things. Um, Latin-based. It's Indo-European language, not like Turkish. Turkish is a um, Mongolian, oh, it's like um, an Asiatic structure of language, um, with a lot of Arabic, a lot of Kurdish words adopted as well. A lot of um, other, you know, subgroup languages adopted as well. It's, it's a. Uh, so it's, it sort of sheds light on the kind of society they run in Turkey. Steal from everybody, pretty much. So, Do you have a particular phrase or saying from the language that you'd like to share? Oh, probably not. No? <laughs> no, I'm learning all the romantic stuff first. So. Oh, give us something romantic then. Oh. Lighten it up. No, no. Oh. And what's that mean? I love you very much. Oh. <laughs> You're too kind. You wanted me to start there, so... <laughs> so, um... No, so it's, it's very touching because, you know here you are and you say you know you say you've grown up so easy and I mean from my perspective right being a westerner I've always known you as someone very hard working you know you work in your parents cafe you ran a farm you were also doing a kebab shop at one point I yeah, remember you're much, studying too much, too like much. just constantly working hours on the clock and then I suppose you know now that I've sat with you and I've sort of began to understood what your people have gone through I get why you say that your life has been easy and so I find it very sort of touching that now you're going out there and, you know, using your position of what I suppose I'd say privilege because you're in Australia, you know, you're not oppressed 
and you're using that to help other people. So tell my listeners right now, how can they help support the Kurdish people through your foundation? Um, well, I mean, first I'd like to say that um, supporting Kurds through any means would be the best thing. Um, like Kurds are actually like they they are they are they are friends of the West, not just friends of the West. They are they're part of the West. Um, they're part of Western culture. So supporting Kurds, um, spreading awareness about what's happened and what continues to happen to these people, um, and, and learning more about it as well. Um, that that's 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 one thing. Um, I think. There are organisations that I'm also part of, like um, the Kurdish National Committee of Australia, um, and you know they they're the they're the foremost lobby group in Australia for Kurdish issues, um, and you know people can um, they should like and subscribe to their to their content on Facebook. Um, uh, I really recommend it, and also um, through my foundation, um, you know, for the moment, liking the page is is more than enough. Like. Um, just looking at the posts, sharing—that's um, that's that's more than I can ask for at the moment. Um, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of work I have to do in between now and actually um, completing um, all the necessary steps to become registered. Um, it's unfortunately a very complicated process operating in that part of the world. Mm. But um, you know, like there's still stuff that people can do: share and like posts. Like that's that's. Um, I'm going to help you plug this just quickly. Rizgari Foundation on Facebook. That's right. That's right. No, very good. Um, yeah, I've done shameless plugs of everyone else and not myself. Yeah, but, come on. You've got to plug yourself here. Yeah, so Rizgari Foundation on Facebook. We have a website as well. Um, you can't donate yet uh, because uh, we're not accepting donations at this stage. Um, well, we will roughly, I believe in one year we will, um, or possibly before then, but I'll definitely make that known. Um and also want to note that um, because Rizgari Foundation will be a PBI listed charity, um, any dollar that you donate once we are registered will be completely tax deductible. So the Australian government will give you your money back at end of financial year. So if you decide to donate $500 or if a company decides to donate $500,000, the next day they would receive, I mean, if they donated right before end of financial year, the next day they would receive their, their money back. Um, they'd also be doing the Kurds a lot of good. Um, yeah, so that's 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 probably the I would say the most appealing part of this particular charity. It's that we don't have anything like that at the moment, and any donation that someone gives, that it really is a loss. So a lot, I think, I feel a lot more people would want to help. Um, I know a lot of people don't have the means to. They, um, I, I'm an Australian. I know how it is. You know, I'm I'm a uni student. I'm broke, so mm. I know I know what it's like. And you work for free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I get food, but um, I know what it's like. So, but um. Yeah, for the most part, I think I think if that's when that's up and running, I think a lot of people would want to help. And um, but liking the page right now is, is more is more than I can ask for. But spreading more awareness about Kurdish people and their and their and their, their plight, and also being being in favour of Kurdish independence, I think that's the most um, most important thing. Mm. Um, not just for Kurds, but um, for a lot of Westerners as well. I think I think that I think more and more people are starting to do that, but more and more people need to. Um, that's 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 the long-term solution to this this refugee situation that I'm trying to help mm. out with. Um, um, it's not it's not it's not helping these refugees. It's making sure that no refugees ever need to exist. Mm. You know, if they have their own homeland, they don't need to flee their homes. You know, mm. that's that's the long-term goal. So more than this charity is very important to me, and I'm 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 pursuing it with everything um, that I have. Um, but at the same time, I, I really also appreciate that um, that people would just care more about Kurds in general. I think yeah. that's 
Uh, and that includes Kurds as well. You know, like we sometimes we we don't care enough about each other. So, well, hopefully, you know, the world will have a few more Kawas. Yeah. Oh, did I get it right this time? Nah, Kawa. Oh, we talked Kawa. about this before. <laughs> we did, we did. I've known you for so long as well. That's and I okay. can't believe I still can't say your name It's properly. not your fault, don't worry. I must apologise. I think the no. first couple of years I knew you, I don't think I've actually it's spoken. Right. No, no, it's all right. But um, no, hopefully, you know, there'll be more of you, more people like you out there spreading the awareness because I feel like probably the one thing that's going to help the situation more than anything is to shine a light onto what's happening because, you know, especially... You know, I think a lot of people, they're very unaware of what's going on in the world. But if we are, you know, people want to stand up for what's good. And they want to stand against what's bad. Oh, no, I completely agree with you. Um, I think I think for the most part, people are maybe just a little bit sleepy. Um, mm. But most people are good. And uh, especially in regards to issues on Kurds, um, I think most people are just unaware. But, you know, I, I really believe that more and more people, the more they... Like being Kurdish is fa- in, fa- in fashion, man. It is. Mm. Like we're 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 we happen to be occupied by, you know, four pretty crappy countries, and um, we're actually pretty cool if you think about it. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, you're a cool guy, man. Oh, okay. And no, you've got you got a I'm big a heart. Guy. You've got a big heart to go out there and do what you're doing, man. So thank you, man. I want to thank you for having for giving your time today. You know. Telling my audience about what's going on, giving them some education. So please, everybody listening, make sure you go out there, like the Facebook page, the Rizgari Foundation. Make sure you show some support. And yeah, Kawhi. Sorry, I called you Kawhi. I watched much basketball. Kawhi Leonard. That's all right. Maybe we can edit that out or something. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. Man, like if I get your name wrong, that's fine. But like three times in one podcast. It happens, man. It happens. I have to really apologize. No, that. no, 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 no. But no, it's thank you so much for coming oh, it's on here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And I understand a lot of this is personal too as well. So thank you for being able to share that with us as well. Thank you very much. All right. And to all my listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page, Running From Comfort. And if you're not following on Instagram, at running from underscore from comfort. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you all next time.